Hi, I'm Douglas Haynes, your Monday host of A Public Affair. We love creating this public space for in-depth conversations about education, ecology, food, and so much more. To keep these conversations going, we need your support. Go to wortfm.org slash donate. Thank you. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound. Welcome to a public affair. I'm Douglas Haynes, your Monday host. Today we're going to talk about one of Wisconsin's most pressing public health and environmental justice issues. Wisconsin has the highest number of lead pipes per capita in the United States. In Milwaukee, lead service lines make up more than 40% of all water lines in the city. This prevalence of lead pipes has dramatic consequences for children in particular. Last year, a study published in JMA Pediatrics, JMA Pediatrics found that Wisconsin has double the national rate of detectable lead levels in children's blood. Lead poisoning disproportionately affects communities of color and low-income families. To address this problem and other water issues over the next five years, last month the Environmental Protection Agency directed $700 million toward water infrastructure projects in Wisconsin. This is part of President Biden's Justice 40 initiative, which targets 40% of benefits from federal programs from some federal programs to disadvantaged communities. The state government now decides how these funds are allocated. Here to tell us more about this process and the issue of lead pipes in Wisconsin is Richard Diaz, Midwest Regional Field Organizer of Blue Green Alliance and the chair of the Milwaukee-based Coalition on Lead Emergency. Welcome to a public affair, Richard. Yeah, thank you for having me, Douglas. Uh, such an honor. And welcome, listeners. We'd love for you to join our conversation today. If you have a question for our guest, please give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WORT Talk or message a public affair on Facebook. And we have this timely nature of the issue, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about it today with this new funding coming in from the EPA to address this problem. But before we dive into that, Richard, I'd love for you to give us the big picture, a lot of context, and give us a sense of the extent and distribution of the lead poisoning problem in Milwaukee and elsewhere in Wisconsin as well. Yeah, well, again, Doug, thank you for having me on. Uh, Richard Diaz, chairperson with the Coalition on Lead Emergency. You know, we've been around for about four years now, uh, grassroots-led group of, uh, you know, environmentalists, uh, community-based nonprofits and neighborhood-based nonprofits in the Milwaukee area, also families who have uh, lead poisoned children. So, you know, we've been following the, the lead service line work closely from Capitol Hill all the way down to City Hall in Milwaukee. And, um, you know, we, we aren't pleased with the lack of a sense of urgency uh, from our elected officials and also from um, you know, the decision makers who have the ability to, uh, you know, move monies through different utilities to speed up lead service line replacement. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, the city of Milwaukee actually has 40% of all of the state of Wisconsin's lead service lines. And, um, you know, this year from the state revolving fund, the uh, conventional mechanism to uh, resource utilities to replace less service lines, you know, the city of Milwaukee got less than 10% of those dollars. So, you know, we, we have a huge need here. Um, and then when you look at the data from Wisconsin Department of Health and Human Services, you see that the majority of the state's lead poisoning cases are in the city of Milwaukee. And uh, for those listening in, you know, the, the city of Milwaukee contains the majority of the state of Wisconsin's people of color population, specifically the uh, Black or African-American population on Milwaukee's north side and the Latinx population on Milwaukee's south side. So, you know, in order for us to, to speed up the replacement of these lead service lines, you know, the state needs to give the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources more money to work with. 
And then the Department of Natural Resources will then work with utilities to make sure they have more resources to work with. But as President Biden's mentioned, you know, several times, this is just a down payment. You know, I, I think of it, uh, you know, in, in the same way you would think of a startup or a, a business getting some seed capital to, to begin work. You know, by no means is this going to be enough money for uh, utilities across the countries and states across the country to give utilities to replace all of its less service lines and, and do all of its water infrastructure work. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, that gives you. us a real good sense of the lay of the land in terms of this issue and uh, identifies communities that, that we'll talk about more now in detail. I think it would be really helpful for our listeners to hear some stories of the ways you've seen this issue of lead poisoning impact people. And I know, as you said, uh, your organization, uh, Coalition uh, on Lead Emergency, works with families um, throughout uh, Milwaukee on this issue. Can you give us some stories of what you've seen personally and how, how it's impacted families? Yeah, sure, sure. So it's it's important to note that um, many nationwide in the city of Milwaukee, you know, in the state of Wisconsin, just everyday folks who aren't as involved in the issues, you know, one of the first questions they ask is, you know, where is the lead? Is, is it coming from the water? Is the water the, the leading cause? And, you know, my uh, response to that question usually is, you know, the work we do encompasses protecting children from childhood lead poisoning. So be it water, paint, or soil, we are going to advocate like hell and educate that family to make sure that they have the information they need to to, to keep their family safe. Um, so, you know, when a child is lead poisoned, um, in, in most cases where a health department is is resourced enough to respond to an EBLL case, an elevated blood lead level case, um, there is a number of measures that are done to, to respond to that to that case. And you know, one of those being um, a lead risk assessment, where an XRF machine or an X-ray machine is brought out by a worker. Sometimes these workers are employed by health departments if they are resourced enough. And sometimes uh, health departments have to bid this out. So this worker comes in and takes, you know, thousands of readings across the walls of a home, the paint around the window seals, the, the soil. Uh, it will test the water. And most, in most cases, the readings from the XRF machine shows that lead poisoning comes from old paint. And window seals, but it, you know, and that's that's most of the time. You know, we see cases where, you know, the landlord went and replaced all the windows and thought they were proactively, you know, helping to combat lead poisoning, which they are. But, you know, we have a case where the windows were replaced, the family came back into the home, the child was hospitalized. A few weeks later, the XRF machine and the lead risk assessors come out to the household and they find the lead is actually in the walls. Or there's, you know, elevated blood lead level, elevated lead levels in the water. So um, it, it's all encompassing. It's it's not exclusive to water. It's not exclusive to paint, and it's not exclusive to soil. So you know, we meet families, unfortunately, you know, after they have had these experiences. You know, this same family I'm talking about, um, you know, has two children who have elevated blood lead levels. You know, one of them was hospitalized and uh, fortunately the other one wasn't, but still, you know, any lead level is a dangerous lead level and exhibits serious lifelong damage. So um, in many cases, we're finding families after a child has been hospitalized or after the child has an elevated blood lead level. And it's unfortunate. You know, I have another case where a family has had to be relocated three or four times because the same child's uh, lead level just keeps, you know, uh, teetering, you know, down one minute, up the next, up the next. And, um, you know, next thing you know, the child is hospitalized two or three, four times. Uh, this specific family who's been relocated three or four times 
you know, in like the after the third relocation, the child had to start wearing a helmet because they developed grandma seizures and at any moment could fall out and potentially hit their head. So it's it's real serious stuff. It's real serious stuff. And, you know, again, state of Wisconsin DHS reports, we would be saving millions of dollars each year if we combat lead poisoning aggressively. It is fiscally irresponsible for us to not go after children who have been lead poisoned and fiscally irresponsible for us to not proactively uh, invest in people's homes. You know, the state would save money in uh, dollars to lock people up with incarceration. The same dollars when folks commit acts of recidivism, you know, that's police officers deployed and just wasting state resources. Um, you know, IEPs in schools or uh, expulsion rates, suspension rates in schools. Um, there's even, you know, a child's ability to earn when they get older. Folks can't work full-time jobs being poisoned by lead. So the more we invest in combating lead poisoning via old homes, via replacing lead service lines, the more we get back as a state and as a community in producing productive people in society and making sure our families have healthy environments. That's Richard Diaz, Midwest Regional Field Organizer, Blue Green Alliance, and the chair of the Milwaukee-based Coalition on Lead Emergency. We're talking about lead poisoning and uh, efforts to address the issue here in Wisconsin. On A Public Affair Today, you're listening to WRT 89.9 FM. Please give us a call if you'd like to ask a question, share an experience, on this issue, 608-256-2001, extension 9. Richard, you so movingly described both some of the short-term and long-term impacts of lead poisoning on children. Um, tell us a little bit more for folks who might be a little unclear on the relationship between some of those things you mentioned, like incarceration, recidivism, difficulty holding a job, and the lead issue. How does how does lead poisoning play out over the long term in someone's life? Well, yeah, um, as I mentioned before, you know, there's serious lifelong emotional, mental and physical damage that can happen to a child that's lead poison. So, you know, a child's ability to, to grasp learning is sometimes skewed. And, you know, their ability to be able to move up uh, from different grade to different grade to, to have higher test scores. There was some data that just released that was released, you know, last week saying that, you know, black children impacted by lead poisoning, you know, some of that can be attributed. I'm sorry, black children impacted by lead poisoning um, can have tougher academic challenges leading to lower test scores and, you know, test that would promote children to the next grade um, and reading and math efficiency. You know, lead is a serious neurotoxin that, that shuts down the, the part of our brain that makes us human, our, our prefrontal cortex, which is in control of our executive decision-making uh, ability as, as human beings. So um, it, again, it's just, it's just very unfortunate. And, you know, as, as more research begins to come out, you see that there is a direct correlation between violence and between um, elevated blood lead levels. Uh, there was some research released uh, not too long ago that the Brookings Institute compiled saying that, you know, the, the families that don't have intervention from a lead poisoning case are oftentimes the families and the kids that grow up to be adults that commit the acts of violence. You know, so I just want to reinforce the point that we lose so much by not investing in our uh, communities, in our homes, and in our water infrastructure. You know, for lead service lines, you know, if, if we were to replace every lead service line in the state and, you know, do that rapidly, you know, we would create jobs. We would invest in the areas that have seen historic divestment, which in many cases led to the lead crisis. You know, it's, it's a class issue. 
you know, and it, it definitely is an issue of race because the areas that are most divested in oftentimes are the areas where most black and brown people live. And, you know, some folks talk about choices, choices, choices. Well, if the executive functioning part of my brain is shut down, you know, I'm not probable to make the best choices. Also, um, you know, we're talking centuries ago, decades ago. Uh, you know, many homes that uh, some of the families that Cole engages with, you know, have some of the same materials from when the home was first built in the early 1900s, which, you know, if, if we're thinking 100 years ago, it was, it was a very uh, different world for Black people and people of color across the nation. Yeah, to follow up on that and, and what you were talking about with the intersection with race and class with this issue, could you talk a little bit about how uh, the correlation between redlining in Milwaukee and lead pipes? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, working with our uh, coalition member, Midwest Environmental Advocates, uh, shout out to Tony Wilkin Guybart, executive director there. Um, you know, we put together a story mapping project which overlaid the maps of historical redlining, cases of lead poisoning, even other data like out of state landlords. And there's a few other markers in there that we use, but essentially these areas are the same areas in the city of Milwaukee. You know, the areas that were redlined way back a hundred years ago are now the areas that suffer from the worst socioeconomic demographics and also lead poisoning. You know, so what the bankers did way back then, they were successful. You know, redlining was was a success in that, you know, it, it is a very hard economic situation for people of color and black people nowadays, 100 years later. Um, you know, and then just to put some more context on, uh, you know, what we're thinking in terms of how much it actually costs to to protect the child from uh, elevated blood lead levels. So, you know, DHS. Uh, Social Development Commission, who is a recipient of a, a DHS uh, program, uh, the Lead Safe Homes Project, which has been around for about two years. Very great program. Um, you know, and then also health departments. They report that on average, it costs anywhere between twenty-five dollars to $35,000 per unit to do a full home lead abatement. And that is excluding water. That does not include replacing the lead service line, nor does it include replacing uh, lead-based plumbing inside your home. Doug, do you have $35,000 laying around where you could abate your home if, if you needed to? It's obviously not an issue that individuals are going to be able to address, right? Families, it takes a, a big public effort to do it. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. That, and that and that's per unit. Again, you know, if you got a multi-unit apartment building, you know, if you got a, a two-story home, a townhome or something like that, we've seen cases for, for one house go for about 200K. You know, the cost to abate the property is more than the property is even worth. Well, that brings us then to the efforts, and you, you've mentioned a couple already, but I'd like to give listeners a sense of current and past efforts to move lead pipes and, and what obstacles they face from your perspective, and that'll mm -hmm. bring us up to Cole's work and, and some of the initiatives that could be based around this new money coming in from the EPA. But give us a sense first of, of efforts up to this point. Yeah, you know, specifically around water, um, you know, our efforts have included working with the State Department of Natural Resources within their intended use plan. So, you know, previously, um, the definition of disadvantaged communities was extremely important in deciding how uh, different municipalities would be awarded principal forgiveness dollars. So, uh, you know, again, back to the SRF, the State Revolving Fund, you know, 
traditionally it's a revolving fund. You know, you get some money, it's a loan, you got to pay it back. And they also have money within the loan for principal forgiveness. Now, with the bipartisan infrastructure law, 49% of all investments are earmarked towards grants, subsidization, AKA known as uh, principal forgiveness. And the other 51% are for loans. Now, last year, Cole, uh, working with our coalition member, uh, Milwaukee Water Commons, you know, special shout out to their co-executive directors, Brenda Coley and Kirsten Shedd. Um, we worked to adjust the definition of disadvantaged community. So previously it was exclusive to median household income and population size. Now, under that criteria, certain areas in Milwaukee, Racine, uh, even deep pockets in Madison or other uh, municipalities across the state wouldn't be eligible for principal forgiveness because taking a municipality's median household income in total, you know, Milwaukee's is like, I think somewhere between 40 and 50,000. Whereas some of the neighborhoods that Cole has been working in, uh, you know, the Imani neighborhood, uh, the Lindsay Heights neighborhood and such, you know, median incomes in those areas are like 14,000. So the residents in, in the Imani neighborhood and nearby neighborhoods wouldn't be eligible for principal forgiveness. So to get their lead service line replaced, they'd have to come out of pocket. Now, with our advocacy within the state's intended use plan, uh, we have worked with the folks at the DNR to include uh, indications or severity of poverty. Uh, we've also worked to include uh, social vulnerability indices. Um, the decline in population size has also been a key addition to that, that ranking criteria to see who, who gets awarded money from, from the SRF. So, you know, very, very small steps. And then there's also the uh, cap. So each, each municipality is capped at how much principal forgiveness um, it can receive. And, you know, prior to Cole's intervention and engagement with the DNR, the cap was at $500,000 per year. Now, you know, to replace a lead service line is about 10K, give or take, for both the public and the private side, right? Now, $500,000 at 10K, that's only, what, 5,000 lead service lines? No, I think so you less than 1,000 lead service lines. And you're talking <laughs> about one line per house, basically, yeah, right? Yeah, one line, one line per house, yep. So... Um, that's not that much. $500,000 as a cap on principal forgiveness doesn't provide utilities with enough resources to do many more or less service lines. So, you know, with our advocacy, we've been able to help increase the cap to, to 1.5 million, but still that that's not that many less service lines also. That's about 1,500 less service lines where the city of Milwaukee has, you know, about 66,000, 70,000 less service lines. So, um, you know, that that has been really the biggest piece of advocacy that we have done around water, which includes, you know, some work from Milwaukee, but it's statewide because we're working on the state's intended use plan. Uh, we've also built a good relationship with uh, Milwaukee Water Works to determine, you know, how can we ramp up lead service lines in the city of Milwaukee? And, you know, we are fortunate enough to, to work with Commissioner Pauly and uh, their communications director. And, you know, we've, we're suspecting some, some very substantial changes coming up soon where, you know, their program can prioritize the areas that have the highest concentration of elevated blood levels. You know, the, to remove lead service lines, we're saying we want to combat lead poisoning. So let's prioritize the places that have lead poisoning the worst. We're talking with Richard Diaz today on a public affair. He is the chair of the Milwaukee-based Coalition on Lead Emergency. We're talking about the lead poisoning issue and efforts to address it. 
in Wisconsin. If you'd like to join our conversation, please give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WORT Talk or message a public affair on Facebook. So tell us a little bit more about COAL, Coalition on Unled Emergency, its history, uh, Richard, and its uh, various uh, ways that you're working to address the issue, which you've mentioned some about advocacy in particular, but I know there are other fronts that you're working on as well. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, the greatest uh, accomplishment or achievement of COAL has been the the formation of um, COAL Parents League which is our committee of parents who have lead poisoned children, grandparents who have lead poisoned grandchildren, and also individuals who were once lead poisoned themselves as kids and are now adults and and wanting to fight back and learn how they can save lives. So they have influenced uh, many of our policy positions and our, our ability to to work with lawmakers and decision makers to ensure that we have a more robust investment in in lead um, and combating lead poisoning. Um, we also have our Workforce Development Committee, which has been focused in the Milwaukee area around uh, jobs in lead abatement. So more so residential housing and we created a program named the Coal Lead Abatement Fellows, which offer people um, 12 week paid training and then placement with a contractor. Um, you know, the, the idea that the neighborhoods that have the highest rates of lead poisoning and the lowest rates of employment or median income level, you know, we hope to get folks jobs in this emerging field to become, you know, in many cases, an environmental steward, you know, someone that can, you know, work in their community and and be on the front lines of combating lead poisoning by abating homes. Um, we also we also have our advocacy committee, which I, I've spoken a bit about, but we, we've been able to do some really substantial things. So last year uh, for the 2021 uh, calendar year, you know, the city of Milwaukee received uh, about $400 million from the American Rescue Plan Act. And they have divided uh, distributing that money up into two different tranches. So within the first tranche, it was about $198 million. You know, Cole advocated for $3 million to train 250 lead abatement workers over the course of two years. You know, so the uh, employment, or I'm sorry, the Workforce Investment Board of the county, Employee Milwaukee, was awarded $3 million to to begin to train those workers and work with our community partners like SDC and um, others who can train the workforce of tomorrow so that we can protect more children from childhood lead poisoning. Um, You know, some more work in 2021 included, so every every state has what's called an action level by which, you know, a a public health entity would intervene in a lead poisoning case. And our state statute currently says that that level is 20 micrograms per deciliter. If you test at 20 micrograms per deciliter once, or if you test at... 15 twice within 90 days and that's that's unacceptable in 2021 about a year ago the cdc changed the action level in blood from five micrograms per deciliter down to 3.5 so that's that's a huge difference from 20 right and uh you know our uh, chair of the advocacy committee, Pastor Dennis Jacobson, was the first person to say, which I thought was brilliant, you know, having an action level of 20 and, you know, that's the level in which folks intervene from public health. That's, you know, that's similar to saying at your doctor's office, the doctor telling you, you know, come back when you have stage five cancer. You know, that's just unacceptable. That's unacceptable. So, 
Um, we fought in the previous budget cycle in the city of Milwaukee to lower the actionable level from 20 down to five and came up short. And that was in 2020. We managed to get the actionable level lowered to 15. When the American Rescue Plan Act came around in 2021, we were successful in working with our common council and former mayor Tom Barrett to lower the city of Milwaukee action level from 15 down to 10 with via a $26 million investment. So that $26 million has been able to help resource our health department to uh, you know, hire more staff to operate a program, to do more lead risk assessments, you know, more money for relocations for families, and you know, more money to bid out lead abatement work to contractors. So you see how the, the 26 million and the 3 million go hand in hand because you know, if those contractors are going to be taking on more more work, they need workers. So yeah, that that that's uh, been some of the work that our advocacy committee has done. We also advocated in the state uh, budget cycle last year uh, for 2021 and 2022 for the Let's Safe Homes project, which was so most times homes get abated in uh, two ways. There's the actionable level, a child tests for an elevated blood lead level. The medical records are sent to the health department and they send out, you know, staffers, they send out a public health nurse, they send out a lead risk assessor, they relocate the family and then they abate the home. That's kind of using the kid as a canary in the coal mine, you know, waiting for the kid to get poisoned first and then responding. Now, the Let's Safe Homes program is different in that, you know, if, if you are a family on Medicaid, you have children living in the home, you know, you have property owner's insurance and recurring on your property taxes, you can get your home let abated through the Let's Safe Homes project. Now, there, there oftentimes is a waiting list. And also, not every family that applies is able to uh, successfully go through the program. Um, you know, let's say they find a, a, a black mold infestation or, you know, you have a, a, a very severely damaged roof. You know, those are things that would prevent you from the less safe homes uh, program. So, you know, while, while these measures are good and Cole's advocacy has has really come a long way in helping to promote, you know, we need more and we are being fiscally irresponsible by not investing in things like the Less Safe Homes program, by not investing in our Department of Natural Resources to uh, accelerate our lead service line replacement program, by not investing in public health to make sure health departments are staffed enough to go after lead cases when they happen. You've done such a marvelous job of really identifying those different places where the re resources are falling short. It's, it's not just for the infrastructure itself. You're saying it's in the the health department and being able to they, they can't even lower the the acceptable quote unquote acceptable level until they have the resources to go out and visit people and do something about it, right? Exactly. Like if the state statute was changed, you know, today, let's say you know some some legislators in Madison were like, you know what, we need to lower this level. We need to do a, a good one for for all folks in Wisconsin. It would be an unfunded mandate, you know, lowering the level without increasing the budgets of health departments across the, the state. You know, it, it would it would put us in a really bad position. I'm talking with Richard Diaz from the Milwaukee based coalition on lead emergency about Wisconsin's unfortunate status as having the highest number of lead pipes per capita in the United States. And we're talking about the broader issue of lead poisoning as well, and efforts to address this issue. We'd love to hear from you at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WRT Talk or message a public affair on Facebook. Uh, Cole, Coalition on Lead Emergency, is also involved in education. And one of the things I saw on your website that was uh, really inspiring Richard, is a couple of years ago, the Milwaukee Repertory Theater created a hip-hop lead project. 
to raise awareness about the lead issue. Uh, and I'd love to play a track from that project and then have you talk a little bit about uh, the collaboration and the larger efforts to raise awareness and, and education you're doing at Cole. So this is um, called Something in the Water from Milwaukee-based hip-hop artists Shaddy and Q the Sun. Something in the water Something in the water water, Like a ripple in the water We finna go harder Stress to a cold make the process hurt Turn it to a diamond cause the process work But we led by the wrong thing Trying to get to holy water but we all sink Shoot me down but not with the shots I kill me with eyes wide But now I'm making noise like a ghetto opera uh, Tearing up our brain Waiting for a change Would rather drink the brain Two won't count our pain One, two, three into the fold Money to the ceiling but it never hit the flow Water to your face cause I'm trying to get you woke March on with my people as we head it down the road March on Something in the water Something in the water Like a ripple in the water We finna go harder We gotta be smarter That's Milwaukee hip-hop artist Shaddy and Q the Sun with Something in the Water, created with the Milwaukee Repertory Theater in the Hip Hop Lead Project from a couple of years ago. Richard, could you tell us more about this project and uh, this as one of many efforts you're doing to raise awareness about the issue at Cole? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, this is one of our early on uh, projects and ways of really just getting the word out, you know, communication and education and awareness is in many times the majority of the battle. You know, folks just don't know. Folks don't know how serious this is. And in, um, you know, in the music industry, specifically with hip hop and rap, you know, you have a lot of folks who who aren't directly one listening to the music and two doing the music itself. You have folks that are just funding and financing the music. You know, in many cases, many hip hop artists, you know, don't control the budget to be on the airwaves. You know, you got many record companies doing that for them and Nowadays, that's why you don't hear hear about too many artists for for that long, you know, because it's it's not their decision. In many cases, artists don't even get to approve the tracks that come out on their albums. That's that's the job of the record company and the record industry. So, you know, when we turn on music, hip hop music in the Milwaukee area, and people of color areas can say this all across the the country. Um, a lot of times, folks learn songs that they don't really like because they are almost force-fed these songs. You're con- Every time you turn on the radio, this is constantly heard. And in many cases, you know, rappers get endorsement deals and get money from record companies who get money from others to, to do work, like liquor deals or, you know, shoe deals. You know, these different industries that are helping finance the radio waves being flooded with this particular material or song. So I'm like, why don't we try to flip that? You know, Milwaukee is the place in the country that has the most nonprofits per capita. What if we got these nonprofits to invest in conscious hip hop or music with a message to wake people up? And, you know, we we got as far as to, to create four one minute PSAs, which one of which you just played, which is a great piece, something in the water. Um, but we came up short with the ability to raise resources to, to have this, you know, put on the radio as as consistently as we, we'd like. So, you know, it still is a plan of ours to, to use these ads and, and really, you know, saturate our communities with with what's going on and doing it through music and art. And with local artists too, which is another another great thing about it, right? Um, so that's one vision for education and and how you can create a, a message of 
growing awareness about the seriousness of the lead poisoning issue. What are some other efforts you're engaged in to raise awareness about the issue there at the Coalition on Lead Emergency? Yeah, so um, we also have our uh, coal education committee, which is focused uh, on education and, you know, educating folks who serve youth, educating community groups, educating teachers and schools and students, you know, really just putting the information out there through as many different uh, people and channels as we can. We have a train the trainer program, which is uh, an opportunity for folks to you know, go through a uh, four hour training, uh, you can be compensated for it. And then also you can turn around and become a facilitator and be compensated for it on, the training is on lead exposure prevention. So teaching you um, what are best practices around your home, you know, don't wear your shoes through the house. Don't let kids play in the dirt right outside the drip line of, of the house where, you know, the lead paint ban happened in 1978 and the paint that was used in the house slicked into the grass and that soil is contaminated still. Um, use a uh, water filter that has a NSF certification and a claim for reduction of lead, you know, and there are various other pieces too. There's information out there about, you know, what, what toys to stay away from, what food, baby foods and juices to stay away from that could potentially have uh, lead in them. So many fronts to work on on this issue. Now there's this influx of new funding coming in. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about that in the time we have left uh, and ways people can maybe advocate and to uh, get this money directed where it's needed. So uh, over the next five years, the EPA has allocated $700 million toward water infrastructure in particular in Wisconsin. I know that's not the whole lead issue, but it's a big part of the issue, particularly, as you said, in Milwaukee. Um, and the state government now gets to decide how these funds are allocated. I think it's $79 million over the next year in particular. Um, do you at Cole have a sense of how you're going to uh, advocate for the use of this money? And what are your thoughts at this point on the prospects for this really making a difference? Yeah, well, you know, the, the bill for Milwaukee to replace its lead service lines is like 700 million in itself. So, you know, with the state getting a total of 700 million, we're, we're well aware that Milwaukee won't get that. But, you know, I think what we want to focus on is working with lawmakers at the Capitol to be able to listen to the state agencies and see what needs they have identified for how we can really make gains using these resources. Again, this is just a down payment. By no means is, is this money from the feds going to be enough to, to solve all of our water infrastructure needs, but we can do some work. And where we will do work, um, we'll need um, we need lawmakers to, to listen to those state agencies about what capacity needs they have, you know, what are challenges they foresee. We'll need lawmakers to listen to different utilities across the state to learn specifically from them. Um, with the, the DNR's intended use plan, you know, oftentimes there's a 30-day comment period for communities to comment on, um, you know, are they liking what they see within that use plan? And every person that I've talked to about this says that that by no means that's enough time. You know, the DNR will tell you that, you know, they don't have the resources to do adequate community engagement. They don't have staff who specialize in community engagement. And if they do, they don't have a bunch of them that can talk to every utility across the state. And then also, you know, the prioritization of, of working with utilities, making sure utilities or, you know, water systems that are smaller, you know, learning from them, how can we help? And learning, how can we work with lawmakers to make sure that utilities are being helped across the state? 
and for Milwaukee's case specifically, you know, uh, we know the effects of Act 10 from, you know, Governor Walker put us in this situation where we have trouble in the city of Milwaukee keeping on, you know, skilled plumbers and skilled electricians to do pre and post inspection of lead service line work. Um, for government all across the state, you know, why, why would I want to work at the government when for the same skill set, I can get paid, you know, 20 to 30% more working for a private contractor? It's just unacceptable. You know, we need to we need to be able to resource our utilities so that they can operate a good water infrastructure program. That's such an important connection you just made there with the ongoing impacts of Act 10 and the constraints that public utilities, public agencies have uh, to deal with such a complex, multifaceted issue like lead abatement and lead poisoning in the community. Um, that's another element of the issue that um, we really need to keep in mind as well. I'd like to follow up on that and, and open up into a bigger picture yet, uh, Richard, and think about restorative justice. Some people have talked about this uh, concept in relation to lead poisoning. A lot of what we've been talking about today is related to how to prevent future lead poisoning, right? Or how to at least stop it happening now. But of course, as you mentioned, there are uh, so many victims of this who have already had their lives um, inalterably changed by lead poisoning. Um, could you give us a sense of the conversation about restorative justice for this issue and how victims might be able to be compensated in some way? Yeah. So when you say compensation, are you referring to a direct or indirect uh, compensation from from lead exposure? And Either, I guess. I'm just trying to uh, create a conversation yeah. or have you give us a sense of um, mm -hmm. what might that look like, compensation? Yeah. You know, true restorative justice uh, first comes with distributive justice and procedural justice, you know, distributive justice being that like President Biden's Justice 40 initiative started to, to do and started to get the ball rolling on is we need a targeted investment to areas that need them the most. So being able to prioritize the areas that have the highest concentration of lead service lines, I'm sorry, have the highest concentration of elevated blood lead levels, uh, having areas that are the least resourced and have uh, indications of poverty, you know, just funneling our resources there to begin with would be a great start and a great way to uh, be able to impact the lives of the people who, you know, for generations have been divested in and have had strong life adversity. Um, you know, the workforce development component is is also extremely, extremely important. You know, like I said about the coal lead abatement fellows program, you know, we want to create jobs in the areas that have the lowest median income, that have, you know, the highest unemployment rates, which just so happen to be areas where black and brown people live. Um, and we know a sure way to build the path to upward mobility for those jobs is to make sure that there are concrete labor standards and that those are union jobs. Because we know, as President Biden says, as we all know, you know, unions built the middle class. When we seen the decline of domestic manufacturing, we saw the decline of union jobs. Most importantly, we saw the decline of people representation within union jobs. So, um, you know, with these water infrastructure projects that are happening, being able to work with utilities so that we are able to bid out a large volume of projects at once and making sure that the contractors that are bidding on these projects are uh, utilizing prevailing wage, Davis-Bacon wage requirements, are utilizing uh, local hire, are utilizing apprenticeship utilization so that we can be sure that every job 
being created is, is a learning opportunity for a future generation. Um, you know, we see for some of the highway work in the state, there's the trans program in which the, the state will subsidize uh, a certain amount of dollars to, to go for training those workers. You know, let's, let's do something similar like that for water to be sure that the folks getting these jobs are um, able to, you know, move up on the path to upward mobility. Yeah, you give such a great holistic perspective of the issue of how to create uh, a more environmentally just and socially just and economically just solution to this problem there. Richard Diaz is the chair of the Milwaukee-based Coalition on Lead Emergency. In our final minute here, Richard, uh, do you have any uh, advice to folks who really uh, have been listening and want to go do something about this issue, ways for them to get involved in concrete Yeah, well, yeah, first and foremost, if, if you have appreciated this conversation and are eager to get involved and, you know, fight back, uh, I encourage you to, to work with us. You know, uh, go to the coalition on leademergency.org, send us an email. We will follow up with you and get you plugged in. Um, also, you know, if you are someone who cares and don't know how much time you could commit you know, if you know any babies out there, any kids out there, I don't cl- I don't care what class or status they are, they are uh, encourage them to get their children lead tested. The last thing you want to do is find out when a, a child is hospitalized or, you know, little Johnny isn't acting right at school. You know, every every kid should be tested three times before the age of three, and you know, just proactively communicate with your doctor about getting kids lead tested. Uh, Two, grab everyone you know and tell them to enroll in a trade. You know, we need more folks that can be workers in this space. You know, we're in the infrastructure decade. We have a huge need for electricians, plumbers, painters, carpenters, laborers, operating engineers, folks to operate the heavy equipment encourage folks to get in the trades. And also, if you're going to encourage folks to get in the trades, talk to your local legislators and lawmakers about making sure that any projects that are bid out by the city have labor standards attached. Thank you. That's Richard Diaz. Thank you so much for being with us today, Richard. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Doug. Appreciate you. We'll post uh, the link to the Coalition on Lead Emergencies uh, website on the homepage of our show. I've been talking today with Richard Diaz, who's the chair of the Milwaukee-based Coalition on Lead Emergency. I'm your host, Douglas Haynes, and I'd like to thank today's engineer, Andrew, producer Jade, news director Sholly, and thank you listeners for joining us today on A Public Affair here at WORT. 89.9 FM Madison. Stay tuned for Madison Bookbeat. On today's show, Stu Levitan talks with Helen Schiller about her book, Daring to Struggle, Daring to Win Five Decades of Resistance in Chicago's Uptown Community.